Welcome back, everybody. We're still here with Pete Allison and my buddy Angelo is here. This is the fall line with Chaos and Company. I'm Dave Capron. Hey, Pete, um, I know we kind of finished up the last section there, chatting a little bit about uh, some of your expeditions. I wanted to kind of move into how some of your work has been going on with PSA ASI here in the uh, U.S. And uh, I know there's a lot going on with Penn State and um, our standards coming out in a year here. And just wonder what your thoughts on that and what's been going on. Yeah, thanks. Um, well, there's so much, so much to talk about. Um, so over the last uh, over the last four years, um, I've been working uh, with PSAA, both um, with across all the divisions and then also with the national office on um, on the alignment project, as it's become known. Um, and really, the focus of this has been for a whole host of different reasons. And there's there's plenty of kind of rationale and justification for this which um, I won't bore, bore you with right now, but um, you know, we've been working on trying to develop greater consistency um, within divisions, between divisions, um, between examiners, um, and also in terms of the way in which the standards are expressed between disciplines as well. Um, so that, um, so that, there is um, a, a clearer articulation and expectation and greater transparency for everybody in the association. And the, and the real drive of all of that is to increase the quality of snow sports education all over the country. And that's not just in terms of what have traditionally been called exams or assessments as we're now calling them, um, but also day-to-day -day lessons in snow sports schools. How do we improve the quality of that so that the general public rock up and they get better and better quality all the time? Now, that's not to say that the quality has been terrible or bad. It's just to say that there's always space for improvement. We can always all get better. Um, so how do we continue to get better and better? And for me, that um, that is also, of course, um, a question of how do we share ideas and practices across the country, um, which, is, which is not a straightforward process in a big country with a lot of different snow sports areas across the country. And so, um, and, and then of course, I mean, the other thing that um, is, a, is a, a conundrum that intrigues me is if I, um, if I say to you, Dave, tell me about what's great about your teaching. And you're, you're probably, well, one is you're probably People are either humble and they say, oh, well, nothing much, you know, I just kind of do my thing. Or they're not humble and they tell you this great long list of the things that they think they do really well, but don't necessarily do very well. And so we know that, <laughs> um, we know that these kind of things are really complicated, you know, to kind of tease out. Um, and so the idea of how do we share practices and how do we spot, um, how do we spot practices that might be useful to um, share between individuals, between examiners, between um, snow sports schools, between divisions is complicated. And so, um, you know, we've, we've been working on that and how we can spot them. So if I came and watched you, for example, Dave, running an assessment, you might just do what you think is normal. And if I'd watched 10 different people running assessments, I might watch you and say, hang on that's incredible. 
look at what Dave's doing. That solves the problem that these other nine people are grappling with. And Dave doesn't even know it because he just does it. <laughs> and so I can then, you know, write that up or I can then communicate that and we can share those kind of practices. Or, you know, the other way around, of course, you might be struggling with something and the nine other people have got it solved. Well, it seems like there's all these kind of opportunities for sharing of, of good practices and ideas. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, that, that kind of thing is, is a big part of what we've been working on. And I think that to me, that big picture view of the, the overall purpose of this project is about increasing the quality of snow sports education at every level is what this project is really about. Um, now there's lots of different kind of nuanced detailed parts to that um, but in my mind that's what that's the big picture of where we're, where we're trying to get to and, and where we're going with this um, and the first stage of that really um, over these four four or so years has been about coming around with people from all divisions all disciplines um, and the way in which I kind of speak about it metaphorically is getting a blank sheet of paper and saying to people, I want you to tell me what makes a good ski instructor or a good snowboard instructor or a good tally instructor, a good adaptive instructor, a good cross country instructor. And just for want of a better term, vomiting out, just vomit out on this bit of paper, what you think that looks like. And that was really the starting point for this project. Um, and we did that with all of these reps um, and also with the national team um, and then started to kind of organize that and distill it down. And if you like, it's, um, you know, it's kind of a, a data analysis project in that sense is to say, okay, what kind of similarities do we see about what people are saying? They might be using different words, but are they talking about the same things here or are they talking about different things? And so we did that over a period of time and people have really engaged in the project um, in ways in which, I mean, for me, it's just been a great pleasure to work with these people because there's so much passion and commitment and interest in this um, that, it, that it's intriguing. And um, as I said before, I, I like the questions. And so they're all questions that I love um, and then <clears throat> what that, of course, connected back to the learning connection model, which was developed in Ishwaya, um, when was that, 2016, I think? Uh, no, before that. So, um, <coughs> so the kind of development of 2015, um, so the development of all of those materials have, have linked not surprisingly directly back to the learning connection model and so one of the one of the big i think one of the big breakthroughs that we've made is is a, an agreement across divisions and disciplines and um across that group of probably about 200 250 people who've been involved that um that snow sports education has more in common than it has different between disciplines and also between divisions and, and conditions. And so the idea that people skills and teaching skills 
which are the two, two, tri two of the three triangles in the learning connection model, it doesn't matter what, what you're sliding on. What you're sliding on is kind of details in the picture of things. But having people skills and being able to teach and communicate ideas, and this is back to the transferable skills topic that we were talking about before, um, is really what matters. That's what, that's where we can really start to get excited. And, um, and then the technical stuff, well, we know that we've all taught technical stuff for years because it's kind of easy stuff to go to. Um, <laughs> and I'm not saying that being technically good is easy. Um, or movement analysis is easy or teaching or, or that kind of, you know, the, um, the different components of technical um, performance are, are easy. I'm just saying that they're the kind of, that's pretty well trodden terrain. Um, and so, so that's been really exciting from my point of view to see all of these different people coming around and seeing more in common than different. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that to me, that's an interesting human endeavor is to bring people around and to think about where our commonalities are rather than our differences. Um, yeah. So sorry. It's, I'll stop for a no, it, it, it's neat. Yeah. Well, it's neat that, um, you know, because we do the, the technical conversations are easy, you know, over a coffee or a bourbon or a beer, you know, especially at the end of the day at Prairie Ski, you know, we get into the, you know, even if it's just a couple of staff members, what'd you work on today? And you'll hear, wow, we really worked on this fundamental. We're trying to, you know, be able to manage energy overall, or we're trying to be able to get more angles, but the, you don't hear as much. And even between, snow sports instructors, you don't hear, well, how did you do that? You know, how did you set up the learning environment? Did you, what terrain did you use and why, or what speed did you, did you do it, the movement at different speeds? You don't hear a lot, which to me, it sounds like we're putting a lot more emphasis, not that it's more important than tech skills, but we need to grow a lot more in the teaching and people skills. I don't know if that's your feeling. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think what, um, you know, this project, and um, I certainly don't want to take credit for this because I think there's a lot of people who've done well I know there are a lot of people who've done a lot of work on this and um, so the kind of collective process has brought us to a vocabulary that is shared that allows us to have those conversations and, yeah. and in some ways I my concern isn't what the outcome of those conversations is my concern is that those conversations are happening because that means that we're placing value on them and so if we're talking about how we re relate to our class or how we relate to our family that we're teaching or how we connect with um, how we select terrain that is appropriate for them, then we're, we're getting into a conversation that um, is expansive and allows for some creativity and opportunities um, rather than um, just not having that conversation because we don't really know how to do it or having a conversation about, you know what, I had a really hard day. I just could not, I could not connect with those people yeah. um, or with this person. And I really struggled with it. Um, and being able to have that conversation, I think is really useful because it's, a, again, it's about sharing ideas and practices and creativity, you know, because most of the time, you know, I, I mean, if I think about some of the teaching that I've done over the years outdoors, you know, and the struggles that I've had, the places where I've learned the most is when I've, I've kind of, made a confession about yeah i didn't have a great session there. <laughs> and, and, and somebody looks at me and they go i know exactly what you mean that happened to me last week 
And, and there's a kind of therapy in that, but then there's also an opportunity for a breakthrough because then they said, well, actually what I found was that I did this and it kind of helped to unlock something or it, it helped to kind of um, pr progress the learning somehow or another. And so I think that that's a big part. And, you know, we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about learning outcomes um, and writing and writing those learning outcomes extremely carefully. Um, and the kind of back and forth that's gone on with that, the attention to detail is, um, you know, big, big topic for um, respect and support and thanks for all those people. But we've also spent a lot of time talking about learning experiences and writing that in such a way that I think is quite, um, is quite helpful. And I don't know if the subtlety of this will be picked up or not, but I'm hoping that in time it will be. But the learning experiences just put put in, um, in, in as kind of fundamental way as possible and as kind of basic way as possible is that um, these are the kind of things that we do in order to develop ourselves, to learn, to develop our capacities towards those learning outcomes. And in the PSAA system, ASI system, uh, most of that is what happens at, with EDSTAF in resort, in mm -hmm. different resorts, different hills. Um, and those those experiences, um, what, what I've heard from a lot of people and seen over the years, not just in PSA, ASI, but in other organizations, is that what candidates tend to do who are going towards qualifications um, is that they tend to rely on ed staff to provide those learning experiences. So, you know, if, if I'm a candidate and I and I come to Angelo and I say, Angelo, I'm thinking about doing my level one and what, what should I do? And then Angelo and I ski for a day and I look to Angelo to tell me what I need to do for my performance um, or for my teaching or for my people skills or any combination thereof. Um, the responsibility for learning is very quickly on Angelo's shoulders and I'm just a passenger. And so we've written these learning experiences or tried to write them in such a way that that responsibility for learning remains on my shoulders as much as possible. So talking about all of the different things that I can do in order to develop my capacities so that I can progress my abilities to teach snow sports in such a way that it is going to move me more towards achieving my level one or whatever, whatever the level it is that I'm I'm at. And so we've written those to say things like, you know what, you don't just learn when you're on snow. You can also learn in the summer mountain biking. You can also learn in the fall by staying fit. You can also learn by reading a book. You can also learn by watching a YouTube video. You can learn by all these different kind of thing, opportunities for learning. You can attend events, you can attend webinars, you can listen to podcasts. These are all opportunities for learning that learners can take more and more control of and not place all of that responsibility onto ed staff um, which of course ed staff play an important role there's no question about that but you know really really good snow sports educators um, are about continuing to learn on an infinite basis so you know if if i think about the um you know the the pleasure of working with um, with level threes 
and the pleasure of working with the national team and the pleasure of working with um, people like Jeb as, as head coach and, and all of that coaching group of people which who are incredible uh, performers. They're also incredible teachers and coaches and the same across all divisions. But what's really striking about, about all of those people at those levels is they're really interested in just improving. They want to get better at what they do. They don't think they've arrived. Right. <laughs> okay. yeah. I'm on a journey and there is no end to this journey. Um, and, to, and to me, that is something that, that that's a kind of characteristic that we want to bottle and share. We want that to be part of the DNA of everybody in the association in my mind, um, because that's contagious. You know, I, I, I get around that community and I think, oh, this is just inspiring. I just, I want more of this, you know, it's kind of like crack cocaine. I've <laughs> taken crack cocaine, but it's, you know, I think it's that kind of addiction. Yep. And if we can share that across the association, guess what? When the public come for a lesson, they're going to, they're going to pick up on that as well. And they're going to want to be part of that. And I think that's, um, you know, a big part of what it is that we're trying to create, regardless of whether it doesn't matter whether you're skiing on, you know, a small patch of snow in the middle of Pennsylvania, or whether you, you know, skiing at Alter or Snowbird or something like that, you know, that we can inspire people. Um, and, and that can be contagious for everybody. So yeah, I'm, you can tell I get excited about that. So that's good. Though. That <laughs> well, that's what it, that's what excites Angela. I I can just see you, Angela. With you. I'm, go ahead, Angela. Well, I, first of all, I want to go on the record and say that Chaos and Company does not endorse the use of crack cocaine. <laughs> okay. It's a substitute for crack cocaine. <laughs> um, no, but I yeah, I, wrote, I was writing a couple of things down. Um, you, you know, I I, I, wor I worked in formal education, you know, classroom education for for a couple of decades, and outdoor education longer. Um, and, and you, you know, when you get older, Pete, I think when you and I met at Big Sky, I think that was our first conversation that we were, we were, the, you know, the same age and we we're like, shit, we're like getting, we're like the old dudes now, <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but it, it does give you, I mean, it gives you the ability to look back a bit, you know, and I, I, I look on my years in, um, the, the, the public education system and I, and I reflect on that because that's what you do, right? And now I'm in, I'm still in an education system. It's just a different environment. But I'm going to make some generalizations about American education. I'm interested, Pete. After, I'm going to throw some stuff against the wall. And see, we'll see if something sticks. My reflections are American-based because that's my experience. But you've been all over. You you've you've seen other things. Um, and, and I don't want this to sound like I don't think there's good stuff happening in American education because, and I've said this before, I think, Dave, on this on this broadcast, that um, what's happening in PSIA, AASI, is not separate from American education. It's it's part of it. It's the same system. It, you know, you just have to broaden your scope. What we believe in, or what we believed in PSIA, AASI in the past has evolved within the larger framework of American education. I, I believe that. Um, but I think you can make some generalizations about education in, in this country. And a few of them are that 
you know, there's there's an objectivity to it or a, a perceived objectivity to it where where we ask, you know, this is this question true or false? You know, of these four choices, which one is correct or maybe which two? But you're you're still you're dealing with an objectivity there. I think it creates a mindset in your students where there's there's a fear of being wrong because there's obviously something here that's correct and there's something here that's not correct. You may choose the incorrect one and then that would be bad, right? That's the belief. Um, I, I think um, this objectivity um, has done some damage to the perception of teachers. There's a mistrust of teachers, but then on the flip side, Pete, what you were just talking about is in some cases, there's a total trust of teachers where this person is going to cure my ills for me with very little investment on my part. Both of those things, the mistrust and the total trust are both, in my opinion, anti-intellectualism. The, the mistrust of teachers creates an abandonment. You know, I'm, I'm not going to learn new things because I'm, you know, that guy's no expert, you know, and why do I need to listen to that? You get that mentality. But I think it's just as anti-intellectual to give total trust to your teachers because you, 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 you assume a helplessness there and you have a tendency to not take ownership of or have accountability for your own performance, your own learning, you know, and it, I'm saying all these things um, to, to really just make this point that I feel like what, you, what you've done, what you're doing with PSIA, your influence on the changes, um, the, the fact that the, 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 it's the American team that's, that's really the forerunner globally in this kind of thinking is a real pendulum swing, you know? And I, I've I've been a PSIA member since 1994, and I've seen a, I've seen manuals come and go, and then every time a new publication comes out, Dave, I'm sure you've seen this. It's, uh, what are they changing this year? That's right. What, what so are they what's, changing what, now? What's the buzzword? What's the buzzword? And and yeah. and it's like because you know, and I'm not I'm not accusing anything anybody of anything, but a lot of times in education, new manuals are just an opportunity for a publisher or somebody to make some money. You know, that's reality. I, 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 we all did the, the college thing where you buy $9,000 worth of books and you have to have the 17th edition because the 16th edition had, there's one word change between the editions, right? But your professor's using 17, so you got to have that and sell it back to the bookstore for a nickel and a half. That's a racket, that, you know, I, and I can't be confused. I can't be convinced otherwise. Here's the point though. What you guys are working on, Pete, at that at the highest national level with the team and with the coaches and with the, the, with the, uh, the leadership council and, and all these people who are putting in all this work. This is a real pendulum swing. This is actually dogmatic change. Like this is, th this is fundamental level change where in the, in the past for, for, I don't know how long, since, let's say since the twenties, since the, the, the 1920s, that is, since the real factory mindset moved into education, um, it, it was either um, teacher focused or it was maybe uh, society focused. And when I, when I say that, I mean, you're shuttling people into maybe um, 
different career paths based on how you perceive their level of intelligence. So you put them in a place, like you put them in a vocational school or you put them in a college track because you think that's where they belong. That's not student-centered. But what's happening now with the adoption of the, the people skills fundamentals, the teaching skills fundamentals, and this push for us to really consider student goals and, and objectives and, and values and culture and all those things. This is a fundamental shift. And I, and I think it's good. So I guess my question is, Pete, because your, your view is broader. You've seen this in Europe, right? You've seen this in the Middle East, education systems. What's the similarity? What's the difference between now what you see in the States with what you've seen in other parts of the world? Wow. I'm not sure where to start with that, Angela. <laughs> I don't know. Just, hey, Meg, just, I mean, just I'm glad he asked you, Pete. Just, uh, just, make, just make something what up. Say is, I, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying in terms of your kind of analysis of the education system. And I think that, um, I think that the problem of this idea of objectivity and the kind of binary choices that we give people you're right in that we see that, you know, I'm sure that, you know, you get that from candidates. Am I doing it right? <clears throat> you know, is that, what, what should I, what should I do to make it right? There is a way of skiing kind of thinking. And, and I think in all credit to um, PSA, ASI history, that has shifted over time, right? So the kind of idea of a final form or maneuver based has, has been changing and shifting um, to more of a skills-based. Um, I, I think there's still further that can, there's still more to go with that. We can, as an association, things can be more skills-based. Um, and, and we see that, you know, I've seen that in the conversations about processes and exam processes and people saying, well, what, what activities do we need to do? Well, that's your professional judgment. So long as you can see the skills, you can choose what activities that you want to use. And that, and that is liberating, or it should be liberating for examiners as well as for candidates as well, you know, because there's all these kind of range. And I think it's, you know, that comes back to creativity, right? If we, if we see snow sports, whether it's on skis or boards, as being about expressions of creativity, if we can have different skills or tools in the toolbox, then we can blend those together in an infinite number of ways and we can express our creativity. So we can ski all kinds of different ways in different parts of mountains and fantastic, you know, or snowboard or <clears throat> whatever, whatever our sliding implements are. So I think there's, um, I think there's an enormous amount to be said for, for that. Um, and I think the shift to kind of come around to your question, um, a little bit more Angelo is I think in I think we're seeing more of that happening I think I think there are changes happening in education systems around the world um, how much and how quickly varies um, and I don't I certainly don't profess to be an expert in the American education system um, I know a bit about higher education in the states but I don't really know a great deal about um, you know K through 12 education um, Feel like I'm learning all the time about that, but um, cer certainly in Europe and um, in 
the UK in, in particular, you know, I think there is much more of a move towards um, like conversations about how do we prepare people for careers that don't even exist yet? You know, the young people that are in school now who are say 12 years old, when they enter the workforce, they will be probably doing jobs that we cannot even imagine exist. Um, and so how do you deal with that? Well, you have to, you have to have some faith in developing sets of skills, capacities, a willingness to learn, interest in learning, passion for learning, that they can adapt to the situations that they find themselves in. You know, and I think, you know, <clears throat> I'll speak for me here, but I suspect this might apply to both of you to varying degrees, is that, you know, when I was growing up, my, um, my father basically worked for one company his whole life. My mother worked, she was a teacher, she worked in two schools all of her life. That was kind of what you did um, in, in those, those generations. You know, people now have portfolio careers. They work for a different company, every, every a different organization, every two, three years. That, that's, a, that's a generational shift that's going on and a societal shift that, that's happening. Um, and I think that future generations are going to see more and more of that and more, you know, I do a bit of work here and a bit of work there and, and, and those kind of things. So I think it, I think it means that education systems have to have a totally different approach, you know, and it's hard because it's an, it's an unknown target. Um, but again, it kind of, it connects. If we can create people who are passionate about learning um, that, that applies in, in schools and in, and in education more generally, and also, um, you know, in snow sports. It's, it's back to the, the kind of bit that I was getting excited about before. So I, th I, think there's, I think there's a lot of parallels here. And this idea of the trust and the mistrust in the educator um, is, a, is a great characterization. I, I like that, um, Angelo. Um, and, and I think, you know, I mean, part of that Part of the challenge to to kind of come back to snow sports i think is that you know if if i turn up at a snow sports school and ask for a lesson for two hours and i'm paying a lot of money for it um part of me does want somebody to tell me here's what to focus on <laughs> right i don't want someone to say well tell me how you feel you know <laughs> part of me wants to kind of stop doing like that that might know how I feel. I'm paying you good money, you know? <laughs> um, which I, I totally relate to. But you know, I think in, in in that kind of situation, a really a really good snow sports educator can help me to identify what those things are myself, and give me more tools mm -hmm. to be able to develop beyond the lesson and not to create dependency. Um, on, on that sports education. And it, and it, yeah. And, and that's where I, I figured that would end up. It's a partnership, you know, and, and Matt Boyd always talks about that partnership. He's very good at talking about the partnership. And, and you mentioned, um, 21st century skills in the last broadcast. And I, and, and I, we, I worked with that idea quite a bit when I was in public ed, and I always found it interesting that, you know, th there are a few of those skills that you look at that are that are clearly modern, 
and you, you you have to have uh, sorry i have a dog that's part of the chaos in company my dog's <laughs> hacking up a chicken bone in the corner <laughs> um, there, there are uh, several of those 21st century skills that are clearly um modern skills like economic um well and i mean you could argue some evolutionary biologist is rolling over in her grave right now you like technological competence or, or or literacy in terms of using a computer is clearly a modern idea but i always thought it was interesting when those when those when i was first introduced to those 21st century skills was maybe 10 years ago and and it was just that Pete, what you said we we need to train these we need to you know, guide these students, whatever the verb is, with the understanding that they're going to have jobs that don't exist yet, right? Mm -hmm. I looked at the the list, the 21st century skills, and it struck me right away how many of them were, were really hunter-gatherer skills, collaboration, communication, teamwork, ancient, ancient skills, right? And it, it gets back to it gets back more to the idea of what we are, I think, as a species, which is something that we've lost sight of, I would argue, in large part in modern times. But what we're doing now, moving away from, like you said, your folks had one job or your dad had one job, your mom had worked in two spots um, and, and these portfolio careers and nomadic lifestyle and digital nomads and people who work from their RV and all you need is an internet connection. When you look at that larger picture of how people are, are having a career now or how people are making their money now, you know, to live their life, which may or may not relate to their career choice. You know, I wash dishes so I can ski kind of idea. But if you look at where that trend is headed and you look at those 21st century skills and you look at what ski and, and snowboard instructors do, like get certified in Virginia and move to Utah, and, and pretty soon we're all going to be chasing the snow north, right, as the climate changes. We're nomadic. We're, we're a nomadic species. And it's, it's, it's like these skills that we're highlighting now are starting to respect us more as, as a species rather than an organism that you can put in rows in a desk in a classroom and give them, you know, black and white choices when when the, that's not the reality of the situation. Mm -hmm. I just think like what we're doing now, what's happening in, in PSIA, Ozzy, is a maturation of respecting people for what they are, what we are. And, and you're starting to see that trickle through public ed and now into snow sports, you know, as a periphery education. I just and, and I just think it's strong, you know. I, I have a pretty large staff here that I work with and and I get the guys who are like, you know, oh what are they changing now? You know, <laughs> gotta get me to buy a new manual. But I, I don't think that's it at all. I don't think that's what's happening. I think what's happening is is a real base level change for the better. So just a couple of thoughts as you're talking there. Um because I mean, I'm sitting here nodding, which I hope you can see, but the, um, you, you reminded me of a couple of things, a couple of um, links that I want to kind of tease out a little bit from that. So when, when, I, was a, um, when I was an undergraduate student, <clears throat> I used to get sent off to the library and you'd, you'd be sent to read whatever it was in the library or find whatever it was in the library and read it and then regurgitate it. And that was basically what we did. You had to... Yeah. 
you had to find out about whatever the subject was and then regurgitate it. And that was often in an exam or in an essay, but basically the task was this kind of regurgitation. And, and now when I think about, I mean, libraries have changed radically since then. Um, but, you know, <clears throat> now the kind of skills that young people need for those careers that we don't even know exist yet and not about going and memorizing stuff from the library. It's about, can you find information? Do you have those skills to locate information and then to look at it critically and whether you can trust it, whether it's fake news to use that kind of term, yeah. um, you know, and that kind of ability to do that is, is indicative of the shift that I think you're talking about. It's about that kind of, do you trust information or do you mistrust it? When I, when I was an undergraduate student, if it was in the library and I read it in a book, I trusted it because that's how, that's how it was. Um, now we've got, you know, this, the information age and so much information. It's not, it's not a skill as to whether you can um, find it. It's about whether you can, um, you, you know, you can do some analysis of it and be critical of it and, and kind of check it out um, assess the quality of it. Um, and I think that that connects to, you know, one of the things that I've been learning over the last year or so with, um, with COVID is that we're, we're shifting to more online teaching and all of the, all of the kind of transitions for that. And I've been learning this as well with moving, moving countries is, is that my role as an educator changes, right? So I'm no longer, um, it's no longer a case of, I used to joke about, I've never taught in this way, I'm pleased to say, but I always joke about this was, um, okay, come into the classroom, sit down, get your notepad out, be quiet, I'm about to impart wisdom upon you. Um, you know, kind of, that model is, is thankfully is, is gone or is definitely going, um, you know, but, but our roles now are about um, asking questions that are about, you know, cliche facilitating learning you know um and and i think so i read a um an article that i really liked a few years back and it was um it was from management it wasn't anything to do with uh, my kind of mainstream area but it was the article was called becoming an expert in not knowing and it was about the shifting role of the educator and about the frustrations that that often caused um but the long-term benefit of that kind of approach to learning. And I think that's part of the shift that we can see in PSAASI happening is this shift of, shift of role to be about asking questions, creating, um, creating constructive learning experiences, creating constructive assessment activities that allow people to explore the way in which they work and their equipment works and how they can move in different ways to produce different outcomes and you know and, and create their own kind of like in um we've talked for a number of years in in europe about um everybody has their own kind of signature of skiing their own signature style of skiing there's not one style of skiing there are you know an infinite number of styles of skiing and if you watch somebody like ted, ted ligety skiing you know it's definitely a unique style and it's very different to Michaela Schiffer, but they can both get down a hill pretty well. Um, yeah. and, and that's just two examples of, you know, we all have our own, our own different kind of signatures. And so I think that, um, for that's a challenge for snow sports educators 
right? Because it means that we have to be way more creative in the way in which we approach individuals and groups and the way in which we develop those capacities because it's not about saying, follow me, bend your knees. It's, yeah. well, it, it's, it's it, a kind of massive, expansive kind of opportunity um, yeah. which can be intimidating as well. Well, that, that really hit home because I mean, that, that kind of sums up a lot of what you've talked with us about in both sessions in, in that the, the learner needs to become more apart. And it's not just imparting information. You talked earlier about, you know, not just starting conversations and asking for help or asking questions, but also all the different ways to learn through podcasts, through webinars, through books, through just the experience of self skiing, trying something different. And I think that if we could get our folks that are training for exams or credentials or whatever we want to say, if that format, I think we'd have much more success in the long run. Um, I hope. But, but um, Angela, I saw you writing. Do you have one thing before? I, I know you're writing in. I don't want to close it up before you get to ask Pete while he's here because I'm hoping we get him back in the future because I think we could do tons more and get in. There'll probably be questions from our listeners, hopefully. But um, when did you, you have something? Yeah, when, when you say one thing, did you mean four little things? Well, I know. I saw you writing, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, have, yeah, I have four little things. Um, yeah. Mildly off topic. Um, <laughs> Pete. Um, what's your, what's your guilty pleasure American food? <laughs> there we go. Oh, guilty pleasure American food. Well, I mean, when you're not at the CrossFit gym. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did I mention that? I do CrossFit. <laughs> uh, 17 times, I, yeah. If we asked Pete what a ho-ho was, he probably wouldn't know. <laughs> no idea what you Yeah, it's sort of, it's sort of like a cupcake Twinkie type thing, but chocolate. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's not part of CrossFit. <laughs> That's a cultural experience I need to have yet. Yeah. Well, one of, one of my guilty pleasures is, I know, I know I'm on vacation um, or holiday, as I would call it, if um, I can go out for lunch and have um, either a, a burger burger and chips or burger and fries and, um, and a beer yeah. or, um, or a meal that I can have a glass of wine with. And I, I'm not a big drinker, but I'm... That's kind of one of my, my guilty pleasures is a, a lunchtime glass of wine. I think, lunchtime. oh yes, life is good. <laughs> lunchtime booze. Yeah. Question, question number two, Do you are you aware that you mentioned both, you said you both regurgitation and vomiting during these podcasts? <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> I feel like it was a competition to get those words in. Which was, yeah, question number three, Qu question number three, this is a yes or no choice, okay? <laughs> Did you know it is election season? Yes. 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 And my, my last question is, can, can we hear your American accent? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you might, you might get me into trouble with uh, in certain quarters for this. But, um, well, I can do my, um, I'll do two for you. Okay. Um, so my, my first one, is, is um, I like to think that it's a New York one, but anybody from New York, I apologize in advance. Um, You're gonna get your ass kicked probably. For... <laughs> you, you want a cup of coffee? <laughs> and then my, um, my Southern one, and I apologize to anybody um, from, from the South here, is um, y'all come back now you're here. 
<laughs> yeah, I, oh, I love you it. better go I'm outside. thinking I've probably offended about 99% of the listeners. So. Oh, man. Every, everybody <laughs> listening from up Dave's way thinks you are in the South right now. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. You got to come up here and visit. You'll go, oh, I got a new accent up there. But uh, Pete, thanks so much for doing this. Um, and thanks for your work with PSASI. Um, uh, as Angela said, we've seen such changes in the last few years with everything going on. It's really great. Um, hopefully we can see you more here in the Houston division since you're here in the East and, uh, thanks Angelo and thanks everybody out there for listening. And this is the fall line with KS and company. All right. Thanks Dave. Thanks. Angela. Thank you. Yep. Take care.